So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, it's just at the very front of the Bible. Just open up to the first page and keep going right. If you don't have a Bible, we have them in the window seal. Uh, David Powell would be happy to run around this room for the remainder of the service handing out Bibles. So would somebody please raise your hand just to watch him do it? Does anybody need a Bible in this room? Please, please. Somebody, I got a front row right here, right here, bro. Let's go. Come on. No. Oh my goodness. That's so great. So uh, we've been working our way through the first 12 uh, chapters in the book of Genesis, and we've come to Genesis chapter 12. Um, but before we get into the scripture, I have a question for you. Have you ever painted a house with 30 12-year-olds? So I have. A number of years ago, I was in youth ministry, and we took our junior high group to West Virginia to serve an underprivileged community. And we pulled up with our two vans in front of this large, two-story, wooden, 120-year-old house. And our project that week was for us to paint that house. I know. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Now, here's the crazy thing is we had 30 12-year-olds and here's what's true. None of them had ever, ever painted a house before in their lives because their parents were smart enough to never, ever let these kids ever paint their house. So they were unskilled and they were also unmotivated. In fact, it was crazy how undesirable, they had no desire to paint this house, although they tried, they tried. What they had a desire for was painting each other. Like they... <laughs> Literally, we get in the van every day at the end of the day, and they would all be covered from head to toe in paint. But none of that paint was getting on the house. It was like a game. They actually found them down the street one day. All 30 of them, they had painted a basketball, and they were going to go play paintball with a basketball. It was crazy. It was like herding cats. And on the last day, before we left, we're standing on the sidewalk, the house is finished. And one of those little 12-year-olds said, we did an amazing job. <laughs> I'm like, what planet do you live on? Like, who really painted that house? Hang on to that thought just for a minute, okay? Because the passage that we're about to talk about today is kind of like that. We, this is kind of a watershed passage in Scripture. In fact, some theologians would say, this is the hinge that the rest of scripture swings on. This is where God comes to a man named Abram. And Abram then gets the blessing of God. And through that blessing, he creates a nation. And through that nation, the Lord blesses the entire world through Christ. And the question that we're going to talk about is this guy, Abram, he's not Abraham yet. He will. You can read about that later. I think it's chapter 17. And God are in this story. And the question that we're going to wrestle with is, did God get found by Abraham or did Abraham get found by God? Let me tell you why a lot of you, are, well, I know the answer to that question and I can leave now. But here's what I want you to hang on and think about. Everything in this world that we live in is about what I do, what I've done, what I've accomplished and what I'm going to accomplish. In fact, Monday through Saturday, we live in the economy of you get what you've done. In fact, for me to think about the Bible, it is hard for me to get out of the mindset that the hero of the story that we're about to read about may not be Abraham. And if that's true, 
What does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? And what does it tell us about this week? So you ready? Yes. Good Lord. Are you all with me now? Like, Woo, thank you. All right. That's what I like. All right. So who's my reader today? Courtney, are you? Yes, Courtney. You guys know Courtney? Yes. All right. And she's in Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, David's still walking around the room. Uh, we're going to read through verse 9. The call of Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and, there, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at she. Shechem, Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Yeah. Would you pray for us, Courtney, before you go sit down? Would you just pray that the Lord would give us wisdom? Sure. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your Sabbath day. Thank you for every person that you've brought here into this building, Lord. Um, Thank you for um, your word that um, is sharper than a double-edged sword, Lord, and is um, eternal. And I pray that you'll give us ears to hear and an open heart to um, see what you would have for us from this passage. And bless Randy as he preaches. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So let me give you this. Yes, great job. She didn't know she was praying. For some of you, you would have thrown up up here. Okay. So this passage is pretty simple. God comes to Abram, says, go, 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 go. And then he says, when you go, I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless, going to bless, going to bless, going to bless. You're going to bless other people. And then he sets up altars and worships God. Go, I'm going to bless, 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 bless. You bless, worship. Go, bless, 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 bless. You bless, worship. It's really kind of a remarkable story because when God came to Abram, he said to Abram, everything you've ever known in your life, your family, your country, your father, all your friends, your community, go. And by faith, Abram goes, okay. Did, did, did we see in here, he was 75 years old. And where he was going was 800 miles away. And he didn't even know where he was going. Think about the amount of faith, the amount of courage that this man had, that God appeared to him and he goes, let's go. In Hebrews chapter 11, in fact, 
This passage of Scripture is talked about in Scripture all over the Bible. And you can find a lot of places where it talks about it. We're not going to get to all of them. But in Hebrews chapter 11, this is verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. You know where he's going. He obeyed. And he went. And the, even though he didn't know where he was going. And listen to this. This is in verse 10. For he looked forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. How can he not be the hero of the story? I mean, this is where I say to you, be like Abram. Like, you need to have the faith of Abram. This is where we hold him up and he becomes a model for the rest of us. We could do that if we didn't read the rest of the Bible. Because he's a little bit more complicated than that. In fact, in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, listen to what the Lord said. The Lord said, the God of Israel, long ago, it's the Lord speaking, your father lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, who is the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Let's get a little picture of this guy. For 75 years, he served other gods and was an idol worshiper. Didn't know anything about you know, Jehovah Jireh. In fact, he was not a member of the First Baptist Church of Haran. That, that wasn't his story. He was a complete pagan, unaware of God at all. And then we go, well, okay, but then, you know, he had this encounter with God, and by faith, his life was transformed, and he became this mighty man of God who fathered three religions, you know, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Like, he is still a man that we need to hold up. Well, okay, stop for a second. Let's go back to chapter 12. Right after his mighty encounter with God, there was a famine in the land. No kidding, this is verse 10. We read up to fourth, verse 9. There's a famine in the land, and he turns to his wife, Sarah, and he goes, you know what? we got to head to Egypt. That's where the food is. And they're on their way to Egypt, you know, I don't know, riding a camel or something, you know. And on the way to Egypt, he leans over to his wife, and he goes, hey, you know you're good looking, right? And she goes, that's what people tell me. And he goes, no, seriously, like, you're so good looking that when we get into Egypt, they're going to kill me to get you. And she goes, oh, Abram. And he goes, no, seriously. And so this is the plan. Because, because we're not going to trust God with our lives. We're going to trust my plan. And here's my plan. When we ride into town, you tell everybody you're my sister. Okay? So my life is preserved. They roll into town, and everybody's shocked by Sarah's beauty. I mean, they're shocked. In fact, they send message to Pharaoh. She's here. Who? Her. Bring her here. And so they bring her to the palace and he starts to woo her because she's not married. She's the sister of Abram. And listen to what happens. He starts, Pharaoh starts to send Abram like just herds of cattle and sheep and don't, like he's making Abram a wealthy man while his wife is living in Pharaoh's palace preparing to marry Pharaoh. He was trafficking his wife. I'm not laughing. Many theologians said it happened. That to protect his own life, to protect his own life, he put his wife in harm and got rich by it. 
in verse 17, look what it says. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. The Lord said, enough. You remember one of the blessings? What did he say? You are going to be a blessing to the nations. Right out of the gate, him showing up became a curse. So I think it'd be hard for us to make a case that Abram's the hero of the story. In fact, I want to take you deeper, and we're going to geek out just a little bit, okay? So we're about to go to school, Hebrew school, but stay with me. You going to stay with me? Okay, so let me tell you, in Genesis chapter 15, we get a little deeper picture here because this is what it says. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess it. Now, this word brought out is, it's a Hebrew word that is uh, yatza. Uh, it's not the game. It's actually a Hebrew word. Y'all didn't get that, did you? That was such a great joke. Thank you very much. I thought that humor was awesome. When it got translated into the Greek, the Greek word was exago. Now, these two words, you have to understand that when, when they use the words brought out, they're, they're talking about a language that, that is a force outside of Abram that descended upon Abram and did something with him. In fact, the Greek word exego actually is in an active voice, which means that the subject of this, this sentence, which is actually God, brought about this action. We also see this same word in John chapter 10, verse 3, where Jesus is talking about, my sheep know my voice, and I lead them out. And this is really significant because what it's showing us is that the Lord himself was actively involved in bringing Abram out. Let me try to go a little deeper. Abram was hijacked by God, bamboozled, kidnapped by the grace of God. And the way God did it, he's poured his grace on Abram, poured his love on Abram, poured his forgiveness on Abram, in such a way it was a tsunami that he was drowned in the unexpected, unasked for grace of God. He didn't know what hit him. In fact, before God came to him, he didn't even know God existed. Everything about this passage is God on the move. <laughs> and we see this through the whole Bible. If we go to Philippians chapter 2, it says, For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, when the descendant of Abram, who was Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life and then went to the cross and took all our sins upon him and he paid the penalty for our sins so that when he rose to life, we too rose with him to newness of life. We are in the same place this guy is where God is pouring his grace, pouring his love, pouring his forgiveness on us. And his forgiveness is so radical. It's so outrageous. It's almost impossible to believe. It's almost impossible to believe that the way God's going to deal with me from now on is not what I've done or not done. It's according to his grace. Even in my life and your life, the hero of the story is not you, even though oftentimes you feel it is. Shame loves to tell the story that you don't qualify. Shame loves to tell the story. Other people get God's blessings. But the truth of it is, 
Your shame has nothing to do with God pouring out his grace, his love, and his forgiveness on you. You want to know how radical this is? In Ephesians chapter 2, this is verse 8 and 9, it says, it is, for, it is by grace that you've been saved. We know that. Grace, 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 grace. That's what saves me. Not by works, I was saved by grace. But then it goes on to say, through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God. What is not from yourself? Faith. God is so in charge of all of this that when he pours his grace onto me, he also gives me faith that I can actually respond. My, my repentance is not what unleashes God's goodness in my life. My repentance is the fruit that God's goodness has already been unleashed onto my life. That's why my faith is not what unlocks all the promises of God, like somebody might tell you. My faith is a response to the fact that all the promises of God have already been unlocked in my life. That's the story of Abram. He was a goober. Because you're a goober. Welcome to the Fellowship of the Goobers. We just changed the name of Midtown. Abram's story is not a story of him working to please God or gaining merit with God or getting good enough that God would actually like him. It's the story of God coming after Abram with grace. And the same story is true about us too, because this is how God functions. This is normal. God is coming after us. And it's, his grace is so outrageous, this is gonna, it's just gonna, it should take you a breath away that you can't out his grace. Where sin increases, grace increases even more. It's outrageous how God finds us dead and he makes us alive. And he doesn't just make us alive. He fills our pockets with hope, with riches, with power, as Paul talks about. In fact, Paul talks about, he prays for the people of Ephesus that you would open your eyes to see what you are. And you would open your eyes to see what you have. Because if you just opened your eyes to see it, the way that you would walk out your life would be radically different. That's why this matters. And what I want us to see, we're just going to take another two hours. Stay with me, all right? <laughs> How Abram responded is the normal way we respond to unconditional grace and love. Are you with me? First thing he did was go. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. Whoop, whoop. Uh, when he set out for heaven, that's out to all those people 75 years and older. Front row. Love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's my mother-in-law. All right. She's got a story of faith, too. Uh, he took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Cana, and they arrived there. What did Abram do? Pack it all up. Come on, everybody. Get on the wagon. We're going. We're going. Grace always, 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 always compels us to follow, which means we go, but it also means we leave. That's important. Some of you know Mary Trapnell. She runs the Nashville anti-human trafficking ministry here in town. She's a member here at Midtown. And they rescue women from being trafficked. And they have brought many of those women who have come to faith to Midtown. One of our pastors was talking to one of them the other day. And they were talking about her name. And she said, well, whenever you get a pimp, they have the right, once you belong to them, to name you. And so she was saying some of the names that she had been given over the years while she was trafficked, like Diamond, I think, 
One was princess. I don't know all the names. But she goes, when I came to know Jesus, Jesus gave me a new name. And that new name, to follow that new name, means I have to leave all the old names behind. That's not me anymore. In fact, here's the crazy thing about grace. If you're going to follow, which love compels us to follow, I mean, we're just made that we were hardwired to follow love and grace. We begin to understand the past does not have the right to define you. I don't care what's in your past. Grace tells a better story. In fact, let me tell you something. When grace enters the picture, your past does not have the power to define the future. I don't care what happened back there. That has nothing to do with what's going to happen up here. And a part of grace, a part of going, is leaving back here to go here. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. I mean, look at Peter. Peter was a fisherman. A fisherman. In fact, when Jesus said to him, come on, let's go, he left fishing behind. And when he thought he had abandoned Jesus and denied him three times, what did he do? He went back. And Jesus had to come after him and go, no, 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 no. No, that's the past. We're going. And where are we going? You're going to be a preacher. And you're going to give your life for me. Look at the Apostle Paul. Paul, what did he do? He crucified Christians. Put them in prison. Had some executed. When Jesus met him on the road, that past was gone. It was so powerfully gone, even the church said, we don't believe that. Like, people were afraid of him. They were like, there's no way Jesus could be that good. Like, come on. Like, we, he saved us, but he can't save you. But it transformed his life, and now he's an apostle. Or have you ever read the story of the guy that was possessed uh, by legions, the demons, and he lived up in the tombs, and uh, at night he would howl to the moon. They tried to chain him, and Jesus came along and cast all the demons out in the pigs. Have you read this story? If you haven't, it's a great story, all right? But it's not just a story. It's a true story. Because this guy, when the demons left him, he was in his right mind, sitting by the fire, eating. And when the town people came out and they saw him sitting there in his right mind, it terrified him. Why? We know how to deal with a demon-possessed guy, but we don't know how to deal with this new guy who's in his right mind. And then he became a preacher to like 10 different cities to tell them what Jesus had done in his life. Here's what's crazy. When you go, people aren't going to understand it. People want to hold you accountable to your past. And they, people, we believe what you've done in the past, you're going to do in the future. Grace changes that. And that's why it's so important for us to know that it's God that came after Abram. Because whatever was before God was not going to be after God, even though he was a mess up. Do you know that grace, if you know Jesus, I hope you know Jesus, because one of the things he does when he comes in your life, he makes you alive, spiritually alive. He makes you new. Like There's just so many things he does. But one of the things he does with his buddy, the Holy Spirit, is he comes in and he gifts you. Like He gifts you. He gives you gifts for you to use. No exceptions. If you know Jesus, you know that you have gifts. Or you should know that you have gifts. And the truth of it is, you're a gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, what we read is, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. God in his infinite sovereignty and his love for you through grace, through love, through forgiveness, 
wired you a certain way because he has a certain plan. He wants to use you. And he's gifted you for that purpose. It's unbelievable. Just absolutely unbelievable. There's a lot of stuff I could talk about that we leave. We, we leave our family systems. We gain a new system. We leave our values. We get new values. We could talk all about that. But the contrast of what I was and what I am really is God just showing off. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it puts it this way. We're, we're like jars of clay. Like, you know what a jar of clay is? It's, it's just nothing. It's just clay. But in it is a treasure. In fact, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And here's the crazy thing. If you're willing to go, if you're like, God, here I am. And my response to your grace is, I'm going. I'm leaving, I'm going. He is going to get you so far in over your head. Why? So that it, you will be able to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to you. He loves doing that kind of stuff. Taking the unqualified and they do things and we all scratch our head and said, how did that happen? And we all know. Okay. So he, he went. But he also, God blessed him, blessed him, blessed him, blessed him, blessed him so that he would be a blessing to the nations. He said, I make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make you, your name great and you will be a blessing. The second response we see to unbelievable grace is that Abram's life then became a blessing and that's normal for us too. That we would actually become a blessing. But let me tell you something about blessing. To bless someone else means that there is a sacrifice that I must make to bless another person. I mean, I think we all want to be a blessing, but it's so hard to be a blessing. Like, have you ever had to forgive somebody? Is anybody married here? Yes, <laughs> you're trying right now, all right? It's Mother's Day. Do you need to forgive your mother for something? Like, <clears throat> when you forgive somebody, like if somebody owes you money, and they come to you and they go, I know you lent me that money. I, I can't pay you back. And you choose to forgive them the debt. When you walk away from that conversation, you know what you're doing. You're, you're literally paying their debt. Like you're poorer because you, you paid their debt. And it's no different emotionally or relationally. When we forgive another person, we're literally paying the price of their crime against us. In, in other words, when somebody hurts us so deeply that we, we're resentful, we're bitter, we're angry, we want revenge, and we do the hard work of going to Jesus and asking him to help us understand our own forgiveness so that we can give genuine forgiveness. In other words, not just, oh yeah, I forgive you like you did when you were 10. You know, I'm talking about the kind of forgiveness that you have to do 10 times a day, every time you think about them and struggle internally with it in your heart when you see them because you want to move toward them with compassion. That costs. To bless somebody you have to forgive, that costs. Generosity is the same way. It's expensive. And love is expensive. You ever love somebody? I mean, like, really love somebody? It's 
hard. Because it costs. Because to love another person, I have to die to myself. And I don't want to do that. Got a buddy down in Louisiana that drives one of those trucks with like 10 tires on the back. You know what I'm talking about? What do they call them? They're like, they're just made for like hauling stuff on farms and stuff. And you get in his truck and it's this big monster cab. And on the dashboard, it says, Roger's got to die today. And you're like, oh man, do you want to talk about something? Are you suicidal? What's going on? And he's like, no, every day I have to remind myself to love the people in my life well. I have to die. I have to die to myself. That's hard. To be a blessing, is it hard? And it's so hard, most of us won't do it. In fact, this is where many of us, Christianity, at this turning point, gets marginalized, gets moved into the safe category, church becomes boring, I don't like going to Bible study, I don't really read my Bible anymore, I don't really pray anymore, I don't really, I don't rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, because there's nothing in my life now that needs the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in my life now that needs the awakening of God's word inside of me. There's nothing so desperate in my life that I have to claim to the promises of God and it's the only thing that's going to get me through the night. Because I'm not sacrificing anymore. I mean, there are times in my life I haven't sacrificed to the degree that if I really serve you, it's going to alter my life. Like to be generous to the degree to another person to where you're like, you're going home, you're like, honey, I'm sorry, we... We are not going to go on vacation this summer because of our generosity. Or we're not going out to eat for the next six weeks because of our generosity. Think about that. Think about a generosity that actually allows you to feel the pain of being a blessing to another person. And that's where the sweet stuff is. That's the only place that grace and the gospel will give me the power to do it. So as I was thinking about the house painting, we'll get back to that in a minute, but I was thinking about another trip we took with high school students. We went down to Jamaica and we served at this orphanage called Johnny Cash's Orphanage for Children, I think. So we would know it was children, you know? I don't know. Johnny Cash. Anyway, his legacy's everywhere. And so, you know, it's a mission trip, so we're all playing with the kids and our teenagers are, you know, they're doing arts and crafts. And by the end of the week, they all love these kids. They all want to take them home. You know, they're crying. So we pack up the van well, the vans, and we said, we're going to stop by and say goodbye to the kids before we head to the airport. And so we pull in, and as you can imagine, the kids all come running up to the van, and they're hugging all our kids, and our kids, you know, are hugging them. And Tom Spanauer uh, breaks out of the crowd of kids and runs to the van and gets his suitcase down from the top of the van and runs into the midst of the crowd, opens up his suitcase, and starts giving all his clothes away toothbrush, everything. He even gave, I know it's gross. All right. So understand he's a teenager, right? He meant well, but, and he even gave his suitcase away and the kids are watching him and they're like, what are you doing? And he said, it's okay, guys. It's okay. We're going home. And when I get my father's house, he'll replace all of this. And the kids just stood there and looked at him and went back and emptied all their suitcases into this orphanage that's an understanding of grace. That's an understanding that, hey, my, in my father's house, I lack nothing. I'm going to be a blessing. That's what Abram did. And finally, 
This guy set up worship stuff everywhere. Like he built altars all over the place. In fact, in verse 6, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. Now, let me stop there. This, this grove of trees is significant because it was a pagan site of prophecy. And the prophets at the time believed that you could go into this grove and you could read the leaves and how they're being blown around and how they were falling. And reading those leaves would tell people's fortunes. So he's in this pagan land and he understands it because he used to be a pagan and now he has met the true living God. And what does he do? He sets up an altar right there in the middle of it and begins to worship God. Go, blessing, worship. All three are response to God's grace in our lives. So all of life is worship. God's made you that way. He's made me that way. And you're always worshiping something. The question is, do you know what you worship? And in Colossians, it gives us an encouragement. This is chapter 3. This is verse 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, that word rule there is a Greek word that could be translated umpire. That the peace of Christ ought to be your umpire. That guides your steps. That, hey, that's out of bounds. This is in bounds. Go this way. Stay here. Like the peace of Christ where we're listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives and he's leading us, that there is a peace about us because we are God's people. Since we're members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So not just peace, but the message of Christ, like we're talking about today, should dwell with you richly. How do we do that? It says this is how we do that. With all wisdom, we sing psalms. Together we sing hymns. Together we sing songs from the Spirit. We sing songs to God with gratitude in our heart. And then whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to the Father who is in heaven. So we're in community and we worship with our psalms. We worship with hymns. We worship with songs from the Spirit. We worship as we sing songs of gratitude to the Lord together. Why? Because we need each other. Because when we leave here, it says, and all that you do, do in the name of Jesus. It means that when we leave here, we don't stop worshiping. When we leave here, we realize that my life has divine purpose and I'm going. I'm going with the one who is calling me. And we understand that a part of that going is blessing and it's going to cost us but it's a cost we're willing to pay because his grace far outweighs what I give. And I'm going to worship him so I remember who he is and I remember who I am so that wherever I go, I do it in his name. That's all I got. But here's what we're going to do. We only sang one song at the beginning of the service because we're saving some of that time now for us to do this, for us to stop and actually worship the Lord and encourage each other. So it's going to be a prolonged time of worship. Hang in there. Listen to what the Lord is saying to you. Listen to what he's teaching you. Don't blow that off. Because we don't know how God came to Abram. But we know how he comes to us. He comes through the preaching of the word and through the fellowship of the saints. He is here. And he is working. Don't disregard how the Holy Spirit is working in you right now. And what he's calling you to. Even if people, when you leave here, are going to say, you're crazy. You probably are crazy. 
but you're his. So let me pray. The band's going to come in and they're going to lead us in this time of worship. Father, thank you for pagans like Abram that you pressed into time and you pulled him out of his family story and you took him on a journey. Thank you for how imperfect and fearful he was on that journey that as a jar of clay you displayed your glory through that man and how through Christ now Lord you're coming to us the same way broken people unfinished people people with a past that we're terrified is going to define our future and you're you're pushing through time and space and you're meeting us here this morning. And I don't know, Father, um, what it means to everybody here that you're calling us to go, to leave behind and to go with you, not even knowing where we're going. But would you speak to my friends here? We don't know, Father, what has kept us, whether it's our fear or control or our pride that has kept us from being a blessing and seeing our lives as ambassadors of the house of our Father. But would you speak to my friends? And Lord, we don't know sometimes why we fail to worship. Maybe it's because we're so busy worshiping ourselves. Would you open our eyes and set us free this morning? Be with my friends. In Christ's name, amen.